we don't really know enough about it to you mind, so that's why we've got Andrew Gardner on. Good morning to you, Andrew. Good morning, Simon. Good morning, Richard. How, How are, are you, mate? Guys? Thanks for coming on the show. No, absolutely. It's an absolute pleasure. Um, just having got back from Italy myself um, and getting adjusted to the time zone. So good morning, gents. Excellent. So uh, which part of Italy were you uh, in mostly? Um, mostly Sicily, actually, because that's where my, uh, my other half hails from. Um, her family is from a village um, or a town, I should say, uh, just near Masala, which I'm sure you both know for mm. the fortified wines and other lovely treasures that come out of that area of Western Sicily. Interesting about Marsala, Andrew. Like, first thing, for, we, we don't see a lot of it in Australia, the high-quality sort of stuff, do we? Or if we do, it's in very specialty kind of stores. Why do you think that is? I think um, it's probably because um, uh, Marsala's been unfairly tainted with the brush of being a, a cooking wine. Baronia. Part of the world. <laughs> yes. and uh, <laughs> Not just and, a place, uh, is it? <laughs> no, no, exactly. And um, so mu- not much of the higher quality product has been reaching our, sto- our shores and our stores. So um, that's possibly one reason for it. But that seems to be changing. Are you, are you a fan of Marsala, Simon? Have you had a good, Look, a good I one? I haven't really had much of a go at it, to be honest. Can you explain to our listeners what it is, Andrew? It's basically it's a fortified wine um, produced in um, a similar way to, to a high-quality sherry. So the Solera system, and um, it's, it can be sweet, can be dry, but it can age for a very, very long time, decades. And, mm. and there was like a historical peculiarity about the ageing of the wine, wasn't there? Was that, the, was that the, the wine that aged on the ships on the way over to England in a particular way, or, or am I getting that story incorrect? Uh, I think that was um, that was uh, partly to do with Marsala, but also, also with uh, wines from from Port Portugal, I believe too. So I think both of those um, share that same linked history, and there there are a lot of um, producers in the Marsala area with um, with British origins because of that. Yeah, because they would sort of roll around on the top deck of the ship in the in the heat wouldn't they and that was part of the sort of oxy aging warm process and it became part of the the manufacturing process i think in some cases exactly in the nicest kind of way letting their their beautiful barrels of wine roll around on the ship's deck but seemed to do it some good (laughs) it's pretty interesting so do we um do we you said we don't sort of and this is quite typical of of a lot of things from around the world so you know tequila for instance you know the in mexico you you get some really awesome stuff but we don't always get everything here but mm. in reverse we probably don't get to send some of our top wines that are made in smaller quantities over to the states or to to europe um so but um how many variety, how many sort of producers would we get here doing this this style of wine Oh, it's only a, it's only a tiny fraction of the number of total producers um, in Masala for sure. Um, the bigger ones being, uh, I guess, Florio and Pellegrino, but uh, um, they're they're the two biggest that you would probably see more of the higher quality product in Australia on the shelf. Mm. And mm. and and places to go in Melbourne for that would be Boccaccio, I imagine. Sellers at the IGA there and Burke Road Ball and North, they've got a pretty good selection of that sort of stuff. I would have thought got an amazing wall with all sorts of things in terms of um, masala 
um, aperitivi, um, amari, and everything on the wall yep. there. So that that'd be a great place to, to you know, go. The dangerous thing is that is. En route home from the show here. Oh, you want studio. more dangerous, Simon? Don't go into the deli and buy any cheese then, mate, because it's literally one of the best places. And then even further on the way, you can drop off to Rendina's Butchery, which is in um, Baldwin North as well. He's a biodynamic butcher, Ralph, there. Right. He's got some of the best meat I've ever eaten. Oh, my Lord. Are they open on Sunday morning? Oh, that's a good question. I don't know. I don't, my Sunday morning's wedded to the Wine Show Australia now. I don't. That's, that's all I think about Sunday morning. So, but I know Bacardi. I'll be open. Yeah, the delivery. Yeah, um, <laughs> Andrew, we have, we've had a, uh, a question text in, and this is slightly um, out of the region that you spent most of your time in Sicily. But um, the 2017 Barolos was. Uh, what are your thoughts on those? Absolutely, that's a very good question um, because I actually I tasted a few um, just a couple of weeks ago when I was in Piedmont. I'm um, just looking at the 17s, um, comparing them to the 18s as well. Now, 17 um, in that part of Italy, as, as in most of Europe, was very, very dry and quite, and quite hot. So um, it, it's actually a vintage um, that was saved a little bit um, from very, very cool summer nights in comparison to the hot summer days. So um, whilst you did have a lot of heat, you also had a lot of temperature variation you know, during July, August, September, um, when the grapes are on the vine. So mm. um, you still get, you, you get that, um, that, I guess, that fruitiness um, from a rather warm vintage, but you're, it's also very well balanced by a good acid and structure in the wines. Mm. Oh, I think the wine will probably have that, that, that more piercing acidity, but it might lack a little bit of the classical structure in terms of tannins. Would that be a, a fair thing to say? Yeah, absolutely. I mean, compared to, I guess, a slightly more classical vintage like the 18s, um, which are a bit less fruity, um, but um, but they have more of a tannin structure than the 17s, probably overall. You're right. But yeah, this, th- but Andrew, that does present us with uh, with a great opportunity, don't you think, as consumers? So, you know, in in regards to what we're talking about later on in the show today, which is building a wine cellar, you would buy your 2017. Piemonte stuff to drink now or over the next few years and you buy your 18s with a view to drinking five years plus, right? Yes, absolutely. And I think um, heading on from the 16 vintage, which um, which was a, um, an amazing vintage in terms of quality and quantity, yeah. 17s are a bit down in terms of quantity, as is often the case with hotter vintages. Um, and the, the 18s are, seem to be back at least up to, to where they normally would be. But, um, but, yeah, you're right. The 17s could probably be drunk a little bit earlier, but the 18s might have a bit of life in them, I would suggest, at this early stage. And, and we have to stress, I guess, it is early to tell. Mm. Yeah. Um, so where else did you visit? Well, how long were you actually over in, in Italy? I was there for about five weeks. So um, we started obviously near, near Masala in a village called Masara del Vallo in near Trapani as well, and that's famous for a little restaurant called the Trattoria delle Cotte, and that's one of my favourite restaurants in the world because um, it's right next to where the mussel boats come in off the Mediterranean. So you get the freshest mussels in the world, along with the, the famous Gamberi Rossi, the red prawns from the, from that part of the Mediterranean as well. 
and some and some beautiful cataratos and caricante from other parts of Sicily. Yeah, it's, you've got your day, mate. <laughs> <laughs> so I just wanted to sneak that in there because that that is really one of my favourite places on earth. Just in case the the guys from Trattoria delle Cozze are listening, uh, they uh... <laughs> <laughs> might be a bit late at night or early in the morning. Chiavo di Amo, eh? Yeah. Oh, yeah. Well, I'm just having a bit of a look at the. Um, yeah, uh, a, a trip advisor and some some stuff on the menu here. Uh, if you love mussels and fresh fish, you must try this restaurant. Oh, that sounds like a, <laughs> sounds like a pretty good way to spend a day. Us, I can it? I can agree with that. That's for sure. <laughs> and caricante is the local kind of indigenous white variety from Mount Etna, isn't it? Yes, exactly. Just um, over the other side in the east, um, it's it's quite it's quite mineral and. Um, a lot of uh, a lot of drinkers actually liken it to um, a quite minerally white burgundy in a lot of mm. ways, but I, I find it has a little bit more spice and it's a, it's a very very interesting wine if you haven't tasted it already. Yeah, we so when I started at Uncle Dan's, we so it was Christmas 2018. We had four or five Italian whites and they were all Pinot Grigios, and yes. now I've got four or five different Caracantes. Uh, from Girolamo Russo and all sorts of really good stuff. Um, the, some of the Pietra Dolce, Etna Biancos, and they're, they're cracker wines. But you're right, Andrew, the, the minerality is what... I, I'd liken them more almost but like a cross between a, a nice driven shardy and a semion almost. It has that waxy kind of feel to it almost mm-hmm. sometimes with the texture and the minerality. Uh, and absolutely I, they can. And they can mm. age really well too, can't they? Yes, absolutely. That's something that uh, that you don't always get. Maybe because um, there there aren't too many people that, um, that that know that they can age, more than the fact that, uh, that that it can't age. I liken it also a little bit to Viera or the synonym Macabeo from La Rioja. So white Rioja wines from a good producer seller for thirty, forty, fifty years. Um, a vineyard Tadonia would be a really good example, and I reckon. Yeah, there's a smattering of people around the place that kind of do that, but it's pretty pretty small when you compare it to say, well, we're in Australia. Let's let's classically sell a Riesling, or let's classically sell a Semillon. Absolutely, yeah, hundred percent. Mm. And I think um, Italian whites in general look like hopefully they're um, they're in the midst of a, a renaissance worldwide, and um, people are just starting to really discover wines from Friuli, from Marche. And um, also in Abruzzo and other parts of Italy that were previously um, more or less undiscovered in terms of whites. Yeah, that's pretty interesting stuff because we think of Abruzzo and we think multiple channel de Abruzzo, um, but we don't. What is the white variety coming out of there? What are they? What have they got up there? Well, they have um, Trebbiano de Abruzzo, mm-hmm. um, which, um, which, as you know, is the same great variety as Uni Blanc. Um, from uh, from the cognac region, yeah. but it's um, it's um, it's um, if I can say it's it's it produces much more interesting wines um, in in Abruzzo, particularly some of the higher altitude estates. Um, yeah, I, I visited the Marchese Migliorati, for example, um, seven hundred meters above sea level, and beautiful, um, really mineral piercing, rich but full-bodied um, Trebbiano there too. But uh, the other white, famous white wine from Abruzzo is Pecorino. Ah, yes. Uh, but um, it's not called Pecorino because um, it's related to sheep in any way. It's, um, it's actually because the sheep used to eat the grapes off ah. the vines. 
Yeah, right. And that's, it's called, called pecora, the word for sheep in Italian, and pecorino is the name of a grape. <laughs> <laughs> what This actually reminds me of, we were talking before about the other varieties that are up in, in Piedmont. So, of course, yeah. Nebbiolo being the most famous one and probably followed by Barbera. But can you tell the story of why how Dolcetto got its name again? Because that's a lovely little story. Because everyone's thinking, oh, it's a sweet wine because Dolcetto means a little sweet wine, right? Yes. Um, literally speaking, uh, it does. But, um, but Dolcetto was so named because it, it's actually not the easiest uh, grape variety in the world to grow and cultivate. And so the vineyard managers and the vineyard workers like to talk to their grapes. Yep. I, get, I guess a little <laughs> bit of time up in the mountains by yourself makes it, it turns you a little bit... A bit of altitude bit sickness. <laughs> <laughs> yes, exactly. <laughs> they used to talk to their grapes and say, come on now, little sweet one, come on, you can, you can do it. You, we need to make some nice wines for us now. So uh, back there, they used to have to feel like they encouraged their grapes. Um, to grow and ripen on the vine because, as I said, it is quite difficult to produce. <laughs> I love that. So, yeah. <laughs> it's a term so, of endearment and encouragement. It's not about yes, sweetness. Yes, exactly, exactly. Come on, my little sweet ones. <laughs> <laughs> and we actually did spend um, quite a bit of time in a village called Dogliani um, in Piedmont, yep. which is one of the capitals for high-quality dolcetto. You'll know, Richard, um, just because it's... Um, it's a beautiful little town, but some of the wines that you find over there from the Dolcetto grape, um, it um, it can smash all your pre uh, your preconceptions about Dolcetto being uh, uh, quite quite a simple sort of uh, easy drinking fresh wine. There's a yeah. lot of complexity in a lot of those wines produced there. Well, there's a bit of Pinot Nero, as in Pinot Noir, up there as well, right? Yeah, there's a there there are little bits of it um, in Piedmont, um, and there also there's also quite a bit um, over in Alto Adige in the Sud Tyrol. Yeah. Um, given uh, that it used to be a part of part of Austria, and there um, until mm. uh, about a hundred years ago, and so they're quite used to using um, I guess more Central and um, Western European varieties like Pinot Nero, Grunewaldliner. Mm. Um, um, and others that have come down from um, from Austria. Mm. Yeah, I'm pretty sure the the Vera uh, sort of red blend that they make has five or six different things in it, including uh, the little sweet one and Barbera and uh, Nebbiolo and Pinot Nero and some other stuff too, probably. So I, I imagine there are just pockets of little stuff everywhere that we don't really hear about in Australia. Yeah. Absolutely, and um, at least um, where where I am um, with Fontana Fredda, we produce um, a wine called Altalanga Sparkling, um, and that is um, a lot of that is Pinot Nero dominant. So a lot mm. of the Pinot Nero in Piemonte goes into producing high quality um, bottle fermented sparklings. Yeah, oh, All right. I don't think I've ever. Oh, maybe I tasted one with you, and that might be the the only one I've ever had. So. Yeah. I think I brought round the Contessa Rosa 14. Yeah. Mm. We'll one day to, the Rosé. We'll have to yeah. revisit that one sometime. <laughs> <laughs> sounds, sounds like we, we should, yes, absolutely. Um, Andrew, did you get to, <clears throat> pardon me, to Chianti? Um, and I did. I did get to Toscana um, for a couple of days. And, um, yeah, so it, it's always good to go back there and have a, you know, have, we, we're talking about food a lot um, today and steak, but... Um, you can't really go through Toscana without having a having a proper bistecca. 
Right. Um, we had a, <clears throat> had another question um, text in, nice. and it's so the Chianti Classico has a has a rooster on the. Um, oh, so is it on oh, the? It's, it's sometimes it's embossed in the yeah. label. Sometimes so it's in what, the bottle. So what does what's that representing, and you know what's the history on that? Do you know? Yes, absolutely. Um, <clears throat> the um, the Galonero, the the black rooster, um, is actually that that symbol actually comes um, from. The, the intercity rivalry between Firenze or Florence and mm-hmm. Siena uh, many hundreds of years ago before the founding of the Chianti Appellation. And um, as, as I'm sure many of your listeners will know, um, uh, Florence and Siena were city-states um, and they fought many, many bloody wars between them over the, over the centuries. And um, the way that they, um, that they decided to solve this problem of where, where does the border um, actually lie was um, there, were, there were two horsemen to be set up um, to leave, um, leave the palace gates in Siena and Firenze um, at dawn on a particular date. And where, wherever those horse riders could reach on the road between Firenze and Siena, that would be where the border was. Wow. Now, um, in so who had the faster horseman and got more land? Well, this is this is the question. Uh, <laughs> in uh, in Firenze, um, they they actually had a um, a rooster that they that they'd um, that they not fed, not fed properly for the twenty four hours between you know leading leading up to the race. It was a black rooster. And so it was a bit agitated. It wasn't sleeping properly at night. And so it actually crowed before dawn. That's genius. And, um, and, and, woke, and woke, woke up the, horse, the horseman who got a bit of an early start on his rival. And that's why the border between the province of Florence and the province of Siena is much closer to Siena than it is to Florence. And it's this story in mind that um, the black rooster still appears on the County Classico label. <laughs> That's a cool story. I love it. <laughs> and there uh, wouldn't be any animosity story. at all, I'd imagine. <laughs> um, I'm sorry, what was that? There wouldn't be any animosity at all. <laughs> no, not at all. No, no, no. Not, not between towns and villages in Italy. That's, that's unheard of. <laughs> well, I mean, that brings me to just a bit of an off-topic point for wine, but I've, I was watching Netflix the other day and there's this... It's this kind of series on crazy sports, like the cheese rolling and all that stuff. But I'd never heard of this, but this is something that happens in Florence. And it's this very, very crazy game of medieval rugby, essentially, called Calcio Storico. Um, and yeah. and, so, and that, it was brutal. Like, I don't Simon, it's, it's this crazy, it's like rugby with, yeah. with um, UFC fighting, oh. um, but with a soccer ball and goals and stuff. And, the, and, and there are four teams in Florence with different colours. You can't change teams or anything. It just depends on where you're born. So don't worry about inter-rivalry between Siena and Florence. What about just within the towns themselves? Absolutely. Um, and um, you, you look at Siena, for example, with the, with the famous Palio race um, every year, the horse race that, um, that used to go around the whole, you know, almost around the city walls of Siena. Each contrada or district within the city um, has its own horse and own rider and own colours. And every year, um, for, the, for hundreds and hundreds of years, this horse race has been run. There are all sorts of things going on 
with um, bribing jockeys and uh, <laughs> and all, all sorts of things. But that's all part of the game. It doesn't <laughs> matter if you if you beat your rival, then it's all fair. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> that's hilarious. <laughs> But, so uh, it the, makes the Caulfield Cup look pretty tame, doesn't it? <laughs> well, it sounds like your Caulfield Cup, they'd be belting each other. The jockeys would be hitting each other with their, not just the, uh, a yeah, whip with that, a little... That culture historico thing, I've never seen anything like it. Yeah. It's, it's, it's absolutely mind-boggling and crazy. Brutal, I think, is the word. Mm-hmm. Brutal. Yeah. So you, yeah, you sort of covered a fair bit of territory then, by the sounds, uh, Andrew, um, over yeah. your, in your five weeks? Absolutely, pretty much. Uh, we north, south to north. Um, we we started in Sicily. Then um, then I went to, and spent a bit of time in and around Bologna mm-hmm. um, and Forli, that kind of area. Beautiful, beautiful Sangiovese coming out of that zone of Italy. By the way, not not only Lambrusco, which is um, which is more in the uh, from Emilia around Modena, but. Uh, but um, Bologna and Forli is an area that often gets forgotten. Yeah, what about, um, I was just thinking, <clears throat> Sardinia and Corsica. I know Corsica is more French kind of in, uh, controlled these days, but what about the wines from Sardinia? What are we looking at there? Um, uh, Cananao is the main, uh, main red grape there. Um, it's, it's, um, it, it can, be, can make quite rustic sort of wines that are... Nonetheless, very, very interesting. And uh, you, know, you don't see a lot of, again, the best examples of, of good Cananao from, from Sardinia actually in Australia. Yep. It's, um, it, it's, it's, I guess, um, one of those regions that's sort of been a little bit isolated from the rest of Italy. Historically, it's been quite a poor region too. And so um, they don't have, the, I guess, the promotional budgets and the international I guess uh, uh, export links that some other parts of Italy do. But yeah, the wines are very interesting and well worth exploring. Is it is the cuisine quite seafood based? Down it's there? quite. It is. Um, also, a lot of um, a, a lot of goats, goats milk derived cheese and yeah, that okay. type of thing. Um, a lot of sheep as well. So the story about the pecora and the pecorino as mm-hmm. well. And that's that's true of all of southern Italy, actually. A lot of sheep, a few goats, but, um, yeah, a lot, a lot of seafood as well, as you just So mentioned. is the country fairly rugged? Yes, yeah. it's very, very, very rugged. And it hasn't, hasn't supported a huge population throughout its history in, in Sardinia. Yeah. And it, but, well, yeah. obviously, it's probably pretty hard to get across, you know, uh, compared to other places, yeah. being, given, given that it's an island. But it's just... I don't know, it's, just always been somewhere of um, intrigue for me. I, I met some Sardinian people uh, like early on my musical career. Actually, there's quite a quite a uh-huh. few quite a few um, uh, fiddle players and a few flute players and stuff that, that came over, and they settled in Wollongong actually. So, yeah, just uh, always intrigues me. Uh, and what about uh, white wines from up in the north as well? So we've been talking about Barbera, Nebbiolo, Dolcetto. What's what's the grape of um, of the north, I suppose, if you're talking about Piemonte and whites. Piemonte would be probably the most famous is Arnese. And then you also have um, Cortese, which is in Gavi and Gavi di Gavi. So, again, quite minerally, quite um, quite um, richly textured wines. Um, a lot of chalky soils um, where, um, where Gavi di Gavi and Arnese is from. Um, Rero is the village where Arnese 
most famous in its origin. And Gavi is from the village of Gavi. Hence its name, Gavi di Gavi, or Gavi from Gavi. Yeah. Because, I mean, Pizzini make a very good Arnaise, don't they? Yes. There's a lot of interesting examples of um, of Arnaise and other Italian varietals starting to pop mm. up. McLaren um, Vale do yeah. a few. They've, yeah. There's a region. Yeah. Well, they've always been champions of, of Italian in, in inverted commas, alternate yeah. varieties, haven't they? I mean, Coriol were the first to really do mm. Sangiovese in Australia. And I think they've got the most Sangiovese planted. Oh, okay. I didn't... That I didn't know. I knew Coriol was producing Sangiovese, but I didn't know they'd produced that much. I would have thought it'd be somebody perhaps in King Valley. Yeah, I thought that too. But um, I did a did a bit of research on that. I could be telling porky pies. I don't think so. But uh, obviously the King Valley's great because mm. of the, the settling of a lot of wonderful Italian families, the Del Totos, the Pizzinis and, all, mm. and the That's De Bortolis, that sort of stuff. Yeah, and I think um, just going uh, back back to the other whites in Italy, um, we were talking about Friuli um, a little while ago, um, and and also Marche. They're the two other areas I'd be looking to, um, I guess, in the, few, in the near future, and hope hopefully we get a few more wines from those parts of Italy um, in the country to taste. Yeah, yeah, never enough. Uh, Italian wines to taste in, in Australia, in my opinion. So yeah, you're doing a great job of bringing them over, mate. Yeah, well, fantastic. Yeah, I'd, I'd love to help in that regard. Yeah, well, I think, but it's important that once Andrew sells it into a retailer, for instance, that there's someone in the retail uh, outlet that can explain exactly, you know, the history and little stories and, and give people, you know, um, some background on, you know, how to use it and all that sort of thing because mm. there are varieties and well, varietals and um, and regions that you know it's really difficult for most people to yeah. kind of get their head around complicated and uh, yeah look it's uh, the proliferation of wines coming through big retailers like who I work for is great but yeah if you're into Italian wines you should definitely get to Picaccio sellers because mm. they're an Italian family and they know what they're doing and they import it themselves mm. absolutely couldn't agree more yeah yeah Andrew, thank you. It's been fascinating and love those little stories. That's <laughs> really cool.